This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 128 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have me, Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We also have a special guest, and that's Cesare Rocchi. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yes, sure. My name is Cesare. I'm a user experience designer and developer, proud member of the Ray Wendelik team that you had a few episodes back, as far as I remember. I've been an iOS developer since 2007. So I played illegally with the first iPhone 2G. Before that, I was a web developer. And now I'm kind of going back to my roots. And so I didn't leave uh, uh, native iOS development, but I sort of going back and trying to work again also on web technologies. And so that's why, for example, at the moment I'm working on a product, which is a service called Podrover which automatically collects podcast reviews. And yes, there will probably be also an iPhone application. Awesome. So we are talking about web technology today, specifically JavaScript Core. I'm kind of curious, why should iOS developers care about JavaScript Core? Okay, short answer, they shouldn't. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nice. But we wouldn't have an episode if I stopped there. The point is, especially in iOS, well, JavaScript Core, first of all, has been available on the Mac since version 10.2. I don't remember the code name for that. Some wild animal, jungle animal. But uh, so it's been around for quite a while. But only last year, so with iOS 8, we saw JavaScript core, sorry, iOS 7. Uh, we saw JavaScript core released and included in iOS 7. And to be fair, I would say it was pretty much ignored at the time. So it was not a cool topic to speak about at conferences. And uh, honestly, I met very few people that used it. But last year, so with the release of iOS 8, we saw a huge improvement on web technologies in iOS and specifically mm, talking about the WK Web View, which is a totally new component that substitutes the good old UI Web View. So I did some connecting the dots and that is based on JavaScript core. So of course, I realized this and I also investigated a bit, you know, webkit.org. That's the engine behind Safari, and that's open source. And so they publish very detailed blog posts about all the technologies that are part of WebKit. And there's been a lot of work in trying to optimize the execution of of JavaScript code within Safari. That's why I connected all the dots. So they had to release a JavaScript core, quote-unquote, silently on iOS, 
to enable the big release of uh, WK WebView framework in iOS 8. And there's a lot of optimization there, especially when it comes to executing JavaScript functions within the virtual machine that comes in Safari. So with the WK WebView, my understanding is, is that you can then have part of your interface built with web technology instead of with traditional iOS views and you can get some functionality that way that, you know, maybe is shared between the web application and the iOS application, or maybe it's just easier to visualize or easier to put together with the web um, uh, stuff. So, so that was possible also before. I mean, right. you could create a simple or even complicated uh, web page and load it using UI WebView. The great news in it with WK WebKit is the fact that you can have a dialogue between JavaScript code and native code. And when I say native, I mean both Objective-C and Swift. So that's the great news. A pretty, a pretty classic example of the functionalities of WK WebKit is a demo in which, you know, you create your WK WebView and your iOS application or even a Mac application and you can inject some code in the HTML. That code can be, well, first of all, you can decide when to inject it, so at the beginning or when the page is loaded, and so on and so forth. And that code can be CSS and, of course, JavaScript. So I have a presentation that I usually do at conferences about this, and uh, my demo essentially is extracting relevant information from the conference webpage and displaying it in a native application. So essentially, I'm, I'm using a web page as a CMS. Of course, this is not probably how you want to build your applications day to day. You'll probably have a JSON API, good documentation, and stuff like that. But uh, just to show the power of this new component and the fact that you can pretty much easily establish a connection between what just a few years back was thought impossible. So the dialogue between JavaScript, which is a garbage collected language, and Objective-C or Swift, which is native, ARC-based, and, and so on and so forth. I have to wonder a little bit, you, you probably have web assets that you will hold sort of in your native app for your web views versus web assets that maybe you pull down from the web server. Is there a difference between the two? Do you think about those differently? And uh, what are the trade-offs between having them local versus having them on the web? Well, if you have them on the web, of course, they're much easier to update. So you screw up something and you just need to update an asset on a web server. Pay attention to caching because Safari and, and, and the web view are pretty heavy on that, but uh, you can easily fix it without releasing a new version of your application. But the assets can essentially be the same. If you can afford a CDN, for example, there are dynamic CDNs nowadays that, you know, you load a big image and then through get parameters, you can get a scaled down version of the same image. And of course, you should put those values in the get call according to the device that is loading the image. But I suspect, maybe I'm wrong, that you were headed in a very specific direction, which is... Can I load JavaScript code from a web server? 
Yes. Versus can I load JavaScript code from my application and just bundle it in the assets that are available in that application when they install it on their phone? Right. So if you have some JavaScript code bundled within your application, you can load it from the bundle, much like you load storyboards and stuff like that, and it's fine. You're safe, and uh, but nobody will reject your application during the review. If you load some JavaScript code from a remote position, from a remote server, then I don't know. I mean, you probably could get away with it, maybe with the first version, maybe nobody will notice, but I'm sure the clause the review and the review guidelines in which you cannot download code to be executed on iOS or the Mac is still there, I'm pretty sure. And we might debate this, but JavaScript is code. Yes. So I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure that technically you can. I'm not sure you can get approved easily on the App Store. Okay. I do know. Well, okay. Let me back up. So I have been told by the Ionic Framework team, which is a, mm-hmm. a team that puts together a framework that's built on Cordova. And we can talk about Cordova in a minute since I'm pretty sure that it just works off of what a full uh, full screen WK web view. But anyway, what they said was that Apple has actually come out and said that you can dynamically update web assets in your application. So I don't know if that means that you can actually load JavaScript directly off of your web server, but it sounds like what you can do is you can actually update those web assets on the device and then run them on the device. Okay, uh, this I'm not familiar with, but there's I think there's an important distinction to be made. Okay. So you've mentioned that, of course, uh, Ionic and many other frameworks are based on a web view. So if your application is essentially a web view, you can download all, all the JavaScript code that you want. Because, of course, Apple designed the WK web view, so they know they are the gatekeepers. Right. It's a sandbox, essentially. It's a safe environment. Whereas you could, and we didn't talk about this, you could, uh, in native code, create a context. There's a class called JS Context, which for web developers, essentially, is window. Okay? And you create this class, and it's much like you instantiate an invisible web view. So you have this sandbox, in which you can inject JavaScript code. And I'm not so sure that the code that you can inject in there and which gets executed natively can come from a server or from a remote location. Okay. I think this is definitely kind of a buyer beware. Go look at, go look this up yourself and understand what the limitations are. But it is definitely an interesting area that you have to uh, be aware of as you use this, especially, I think, as you use apps that are using both iOS views and a WK web view to display different parts of the data. Right. I mean, Apple has been very careful in designing this because, you know, we've, we've been locked down for, I guess, six years. So for six years on iOS, we had this UI, this dumbed down version of UI web view. And the only method available, relevant method available was uh, evaluate JavaScript from string, essentially. But there was no way to set up callbacks and stuff like that. But, you know, it's been a progression. And so my theory, my suspicion, pretty well funded, I would say, is that we needed XPC on iOS. 
for this to happen. So XPC, if you're not familiar with that, it's inter-process communication. So it's a foundation thing element, I mean, that, that allows to exchange data between native processes on a platform. And XPC was not available on iOS for a long time, uh, whereas it was on the Mac. And so XPC, in my opinion, is the thing that enabled this native to web and back communication. That and, of course, the, I mean, super smart optimization uh, in the execution of JavaScript. I mean, there's an article, I think, uh, written in spring 2014, so more than a year ago, about the optimization implemented in the virtual machine that is embedded in, in WebKit. And, I mean, it's three-tiered. The first tier is just an interpreter. But as soon as it detects that some JavaScript function gets executed pretty often, it goes to the second tier, which exploits just-in-time optimization. And then the third tier, which, again, is it's a form of just-in-time uh, optimization, but based on the flow of data uh, within the JavaScript execution. And then the fourth one that they added, which brings like... 40x optimization execution time is rooted in LLVM, which, you know, essentially we, we are touching the bone of the operative system. I mean, the layer outside of the, of the kernel, I would say. And all of this just for JavaScript. So this also tells that Apple is kind of invested in, in this language. For example, not to mention that now you can do automation on the Mac using JavaScript. Maybe you've heard of Apple Script, mm-hmm. so you can script, uh, you know, different uh, behaviors for different applications. So now the same Apple Script can be written in JavaScript, for example. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's as much as I, as JavaScript is not a love at first sight programming language. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere, and probably it will be even more. So you can do the same sure. things on Mac OS that you can do in iOS with JavaScript core and these uh, web views? Yes, the framework is the same. There are a few very small differences that I do not remember of, but they're mentioned in the presentation about WK WebKit last year at WWDC, so 2014. But yeah, the, the, the behavior of WK WebView is essentially the same on both platforms. And I'm assuming that that's then the background for something like Electron. Have you seen Electron? I'm not familiar with Electron. It's very similar in idea to Cordova, except it's for desktops. It's written by GitHub, and essentially you build oh, desktop okay. apps with web technologies. I'm sure that React uh, by Facebook heavily exploits JavaScript core. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole React is essentially, you know, writing JavaScript to generate some native view. And without JavaScript core, essentially, JavaScript and Objective-C cannot talk to each other. And the smart move in that case is also to do a lot of processing, not in the main thread. Mm -hmm. So offloading to some other secondary thread, the execution of many JavaScript functions, because they are blocking, essentially. I'm not sure about Electron, but I'm sure there are it, it other... It says it runs on Node.js and Chromium, so it's not quite the same. Right. I was about to mention that. I'm, I'm familiar with a few projects like this that keep the core 
in JavaScript and on top of that, build different native UIs according, you know, to the platform. So you could have the same core, like, you know, authentication with a third server, uh, fetch recent messages and, and stuff like that in JavaScript. And then on top of that, you know, you build your, your Cocoa UI in on the Mac and the Metro UI on Windows and so on and so forth. I think that's really interesting. Can you do the same kind of thing on iOS then, where you have essentially your logic for talking to your server written in JavaScript and then your interface all done with Cocoa? I'm not familiar with any project like that. I think you can, but... Would it involve one of these uh, WK Web views hidden somewhere on the screen? Uh, no, I think what happens, especially in the, I mean, in, in the case of desktop applications, what happens is that they keep a Node.js server running uh-huh. on the desktop. And whereas you cannot keep one running forever on a mobile device. Right. Because the watchdog is going to kill it after 10 minutes or so. So I guess technically, yes, you can implement the same architecture, but you probably might need some refresh logic which is a bit more complicated than on a desktop platform. Hmm, sounds really good. One other thing that I was wondering about, it sounded like you could add these WK Web Views in different places on an otherwise Cocoa View application to display information or to, you know, fulfill some function. And what I'm curious about is how do you make the two look like they belong together? This is not an easy one. <laughs> Because uh, as much as you put blood and sweat and sleepless nights into this, you will probably end up with a result that does not feel native. And there are great applications uh, based on web technologies. So the Slack application, for example, is responsive, is quick. I never experienced a problem with that but it doesn't feel native. And even and even the iTunes store or, or the Mac App store, if you take a closed look, you can spot it's not a truly native application. Even if, you know, the loading time is short and the animations are snappy and so on, I think we people involved in this field can notice that, especially designers. I wouldn't say non-tech-savvy people notice that, so that they probably are happy with that. Now, that's really interesting, because I knew that, for example, iTunes on your Mac desktop, I mean, all of the information that it loads in there, that's all web technology. I didn't know that the App Store app on my iPhone also ran off of the web technology. I assumed it was all native. Uh, Yeah, so I know that because... I talk to people <laughs> and also because sometimes you can experience some error in the CSS. Right. So, but yeah, it's snappy. And uh, of course, if you want, I said something wrong in that I said JavaScript core was not available on, on iOS for a long time, but probably was, but it was private. It was made private because Apple, to implement something like the iTunes store on, on an iPhone, needs JavaScript core or something like that. Otherwise, you cannot implement such a seamless experience. You need, you know, JavaScript to talk to to Objective C or or some 
dynamic lab library compiled, written in C++ and compiled uh, on ARM architecture, I mean, they have to talk to each other somehow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it all, it's also a lot like Apple, where you see them basically implement some API that they've used for a long, long time. You can think about, for example, the Apple Watch when it came out for a long time. You really couldn't do a whole lot with building your own watch kit apps. And then they finally came out and said, okay, here's watch kit. And you know, here's, here's the next version of watch kit. But it was after they had kind of banged on it and fiddled with it and stuff for a while. And they don't mind having to use kind of the internals to make stuff work as they figure out the user experience for developers when it comes down to actually building stuff out. And we've seen them do this with all kinds of other libraries where it was, look, this previously wasn't available, but now we're comfortable with everybody using it, so here you go. Right, yeah, and I've mentioned XPC. XPC, again, it's not available for third-party developers on iOS. It's in there somewhere, but you cannot use it. And if you use it, you're probably going to be rejected. So, But yeah, going back to the, to the iTunes ex- uh, store example, I'm, I don't know, but I'm, I'm willing to take some chance and bet on the fact that the checkout process is built in JavaScript. So, because, you know, you keep all the logic in one place. And even if something is wrong, you know where to look and, mm-hmm. and fix. And so, yeah, you know, you have at least three clients in this case, because you have the iTunes Store on the Mac, and then the Mac App Store on the Mac, and then the iTunes Store on iOS, not to mention, you know, iBooks and all the other you know, stores in the ecosystem. So probably doesn't make sense to implement, you know, the checkout process in Objective-C and then, and then also JavaScript for the web. And then, and then now we have Swift. Probably it makes sense to keep it all at one place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want to change gears a little bit. We don't talk a lot about them on this show, but you have the quote unquote hybrid apps, which are built on things like Cordova, you know, so Famous is built on Cordova. Ionic Frameworks built on Cordova. You've heard of PhoneGap, which was, I think, the precursor to Cordova before Apache adopted it, and then they changed the name. So these all use, I'm assuming, a WK WebView that's full screen. I think I mentioned that before. What are then the trade-offs between building something in this sort of web technology stack versus uh, using something more along the lines of what we traditionally see with Swift and UIKit and things like that? To me, this sounds like a business questions more question more more than a, a technical one because uh, now you and, sound like the guys from ionic when we talked to them and i asked them the same <laughs> question they were like well yeah uh, the reason i say that is because during the olympic games so i guess last year or two years ago uh you know that's a huge event and so mm-hmm. you know i imagine myself how would i build so many different apps for such a big event in such a short time. And spoiler alert, I mean, they went all web. But the point is, the application was available everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean even on on, on some Nokia 8210, which I used to use 10 years ago or, or, or even more, or even 15 years ago. I mean, and so... Yeah, I mean, in that case, either you have a stellar budget to build native applications for pretty much everything. Otherwise, probably it makes sense to go 
with you know common technologies like like web technologies and you know the, the application might not end up being snappy and you know exploiting the the latest tricks in the GPU of the latest iPhone release the, a week ago but we're talking about you know an event that happens every four years and lasts three weeks so does it make sense to make such a huge effort to build so many different native applications so that's why I, I'm saying it sounds like a business problem because if you don't touch the problem that way then you're gonna end up into really religious wars between you know web developers and native developers you know and and both sides have good points but uh I think it's gonna be a never-ending discussion at this point. Yeah, the direction that I tend to steer people, because I get asked this all the time, well, should I go native or should I use, I'm also pretty heavily involved in the Ruby community, so I hear RubyMine, or should I use Ionic, because, you know, they do Angular, or should I use something else, like PhoneGap, Cordova, just plain vanilla, whatever, or should I go with something else that's also cross-platform? And the conversation I usually wind up having with them boils down to, yeah, what what does your web team use right now? Or what is your, you know, what technologies are you familiar with right away? And the reason isn't because I don't think that native apps necessarily, you know, have a better or worse feel to them. They don't have a, you know, the experience isn't necessarily, you know, that much better or worse one way or the other. It just boils down to what you need. And the other thing is, is I often am telling them, look, you're going to learn all the lessons you need to learn about having a mobile app by building one. And so why invest all the time, trouble, and effort into learning a new technology on top of that when you can learn it all right away using technologies that you're already using, and then you can build it up from there and figure out, oh, we actually do need these couple of native APIs, and we can't get to them through the web view that we get from Cordova. Or we have some users that are saying that there's something funny about the experience that they're getting out of the application or something like that. But in the meantime, you fought through all the issues of how do I get into the app store? How do I get penetration on Android? How do I get penetration on iOS? How do I let my users know that stuff's out there? How do I interface with the APIs on my, on my server online with this application and things like that? And then from there, you can figure out, yeah, we probably do need Swift. Or you may find out, you know what? Everybody seems happy with this. Or it would have cost us three times as much to do Swift because we didn't know it and we would have had to train people on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, different versions of all these discussions, uh, I mean, I've been part of them. And so, yes, I guess the sanest way of, you know, tackling the problem is probably putting it into the perspective of business. Otherwise, yeah, go with your guts or say you're a web developer and you want to discover Swift and, and how it works. Do it as a side project, mm -hmm. no problem. But really, there are no hard reasons for which you shouldn't, you should or should not do it. Yep. The other thing that I run into a lot is they want to outsource it and they're asking me what technology they want to use. And I just look at them and say, well, who's going to maintain it long term? Like the contractor or you? And if they're going to contract the maintenance, long term, and they don't really have a technological connection to any of these things, then I just tell them to go with whatever the contractor's going to do and then just make sure the contractor can do what they think they want. And again, it just comes down to the fact that usually you're trying to solve a business problem and the technology is kind of a secondary decision to that as opposed to anything else because then you're making a decision on can it do what I need it to. And beyond that, it really doesn't matter which one you pick because there are plenty of people out there doing whatever technology you pick unless you pick something that's really, really old or really, really bleeding edge.
Yeah, exactly. So one other thing that I have run across while uh, learning a little bit about JavaScript core, and you mentioned it earlier with iOS 8, I think there were a whole bunch of performance upgrades that came into it and things like that. So what is it about JavaScript core that makes it so powerful at this point? And what kind of performance and other upgrades have we seen over the last little while? Well, the biggest upgrade has happened last year. And yes, the, you know, genius part of it was tying the optimization phase into LLVM. And so exploiting what's already happening for Objective-C and Swift. So essentially, and being very succinct, reusing the optimization techniques already in place for Objective-C and Swift and apply them to JavaScript as much as possible. Because again, we're talking about two pretty different programming uh, languages. Because JavaScript, you know, it's garbage collected. You can even instantiate different virtual machines, JavaScript virtual machines. They cannot talk to each other and exchange. I mean, the contexts within the machines cannot exchange information. But within the same machine, for example, you can have different contexts and they can talk to each other. So maybe you want to, you know, create an instance of a context that does some background processing and then notifies the the other contexts when the calculation has been performed. But yeah, I mean, it feels like now you can build your own WK web view. Maybe, of course, it doesn't make sense because we already have it, but if you want it, you could. So just by following a few simple rules and establishing this communication between the two sides, the two, I would say, cores within uh, iOS. That's really interesting. And just to clarify, when we were talking before, you mentioned LLVM. And LLVM is a compiler infrastructure. It's basically a way of compiling technologies or compiling languages down to machine code. And the thing that's interesting about it is that Objective-C and Swift both use LLVM. And that's where Cesare was saying that uh, people can actually then, since JavaScript uses this as well, they can optimize it in the same ways that they optimize the other languages that they have adopted or created. Right. More or less, it goes like this. So if the engine of JavaScript core detects that a function has been called, I think the magic number is six times, it switches from the first tier to the second. And then if it detects it has been called more than 60 times, it goes to the third tier and so on and so forth till it goes to the latest one, which generates very highly optimized code. But of course, the optimization takes some time. And so that's why they have this sort of step up process of of optimization. Right. So if it's being called once or twice, it's not necessarily worth doing the extra work to compile it. But if it's used six or so times, then the trade-off starts to make sense where, okay, if we compile it, it'll actually make it, you know, three times faster or five times faster or something. And then if we, you know, if we do the next level of compilation, then it makes sense because we're doing it 60, 70, 80, 90 times. And so we want it to be super high performance and uh, not cost us as much on the resources on the machine, which in this case is a phone or a laptop or something. Right, exactly. Uh, it's not just number of times. Sometimes there's also number of loops uh, mm-hmm. are taking into account. But yeah, and so I would speculate that, for example, the iTunes Store application ships with all the JavaScript code already optimized to the fourth level, for example, because it's pretty sure that you can be pretty sure that you're not going to change 
a lot of code when you ship a new version, a major version of, of iOS, for example. So, yeah, I mean, again, just speculating, but it might make sense. Yep. That's really, really fascinating. I remember building projects that we compiled with LLVM compilers in college. And so just, you know, seeing it in use in a real world application, especially with JavaScript, just kind of geeks me out a little bit. So it's, it's really, really fascinating. Are there any other things that people should know about JavaScript core? Probably I didn't mention yet that you can even organize your JavaScript code using exports. If you're familiar with, you know, .a or dynamic libraries that you compile so that they can be used from other programming language interpreters and so on. You can do the same in JavaScript. So you, oh, wow. Yeah. Even more awesome, for example, you can create an object. So you can define an object in JavaScript and, of course, you compile your application and then you will be able to use, so create instances and call methods on that object in Objective-C or Swift. For example, well, there are a few drawbacks. So, for example, the properties will be dynamic, marked as dynamic, because, of course, you know, in JavaScript, you can, you know, define a class and then change its properties, add or remove properties. I mean, things can go crazy. So that's why uh, variables are, are marked dynamic by default, exactly like in core data. But uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So you write, you define a model in JavaScript, writing JavaScript code, and then you use that model in Objective-C or Swift. And you can do, of course, vice versa. So you can use declare model in, in, in Objective-C and then call method on instances of that class from JavaScript. It's crazy if you dig in. That's really cool. One other thing I want to ask about is you mentioned doing background work in JavaScript. So do you just spin up a JavaScript process and then feed it the information it needs, and then it just pulls the code in from wherever it has its JavaScript assets and runs with it? Uh, yeah, it would probably make sense to have it to use uh, GCD and and all the native infrastructure that we have to perform background processes on iOS on the Mac. But technically, yes, you could. So let's say that if you had a queue system written for Node.js, I would speculate you could run it in uh, on a Mac or or on an iPhone. Might not the wisest choice, but I think you, you could do it. Well, I'll admit to knowing a few people that if it can be done in JavaScript, they will do it in JavaScript. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's only one. There, well, there are a few tricks when you you know establish this communication between JavaScript and, and and the native side of things. So, for example, a JavaScript context always keeps strong references to the variables that you declare. So you should, if you want to avoid uh, you know, leaking memory, of course, you should weakenify self if you need to call it from within a block. And you should avoid to make reference to the, the JS context and use the function JS context current context if you need that within a block. But yeah, apart from that, I mean, it's a, I see it as a pretty neat integration. There's even a, an exception handler, which is essentially a law, a special block on, on the, on the JS context that you can use. So whenever you have a, an exception in JavaScript, of course, you're never going to see anything 
in the native console in Xcode. But if you set up this handler, you will see JavaScript code printing issues in the native console in Xcode. So, yeah, what yeah. else you want? I've used that before myself, so I've had issues in, in Safari on my iPhone loading a page that I built and have been like, okay, well, how do I debug this? And essentially, yeah, what I had to do was I had to connect it to my Mac, and I don't remember exactly how I did that. But then the web console that you're used to is in developer tools on your desktop machine essentially becomes available to the browser on your phone, and then you can actually see the errors get hit, and you can see what's happening, you can see whatever you're logging to the console, etc., and have it come up in those developer tools on your Mac. So I'm assuming that's what you're talking about is that same functionality. Uh, no, I was talking about something different. Uh, but uh, yeah, that I don't know if there's some JavaScript involved. What I was talking about is say that you have your native application and mm -hmm. there's no web view involved, okay. but you have some JavaScript code that you want to execute. So you bundle the JavaScript code in your application, you load it using Swift, and then you call it using Swift. Mm -hmm. And maybe you even set up some callback on, on, on that call. But if the JavaScript code fails for some reason, you don't get anything printed in the Xcode console. Right. Whereas, you know, you, in Objective-C or Swift, there's something wrong. It crashes or it throws an exception. You can set up a, a handler, which is called exception handler, oh, okay. on the JavaScript context, and it will use that sandbox for JavaScript to send errors back to either Swift or Objective-C. Ah, uh, gotcha. So then you can basically log out whatever information you need to the same way that uh, Swift or Objective-C does. Exactly. Huh. Cool. All right. Well, I don't know if I have any other questions. If people want to learn more about this, is there kind of a central location for that? There are a few talks spread uh, over the last three years uh, at WWDC, but definitely I, I would suggest going to ASCII.wwdc.com uh, website and run a search for, for JavaScript core because, you know, they can even go back to 2010, uh, some of them. But the concepts presented are still relevant uh, nowadays. Unfortunately, yeah, JavaScript code is not a pretty hot topic. I mean, everybody talks about core data or auto layout or size classes at conferences. And whereas, you know, it's pretty rare to see it and talk about JavaScript core. But um, I would keep an eye also on the uh, webkit.org blog because they post very detailed and interesting uh, posts about, you know, optimization uh, in, the in JavaScript core, even CSS. And, for example, if you want to know uh, whether or not they're going to release something new next year in Safari, if you keep an eye on webkit.org slash blog, probably you could have a glimpse of what uh, will be included in the next release. What else? No, at the moment I don't remember any other source of information about JavaScript core. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, we'll go ahead and do some picks. I've got a few picks. One of my first picks is HiRise. I don't remember if I mentioned it last week or not, but I've been using I've been using HiRise to manage all of the outreach that I have for different things in my business. As you may or may not know, I make a bunch of my money from doing the online conferences, and I am planning on doing an iOS remote conf next year, and I'll be announcing dates on that here within uh, the next week or so. 
And so I've been using that to reach out to uh, speakers, sponsors, and things like that, or people like that. They're not things. Sorry. The other thing that I've been, uh, that I've really been enjoying lately is the Ionic framework. And I've mentioned it a few times here and that, uh, heavily uses JavaScript core. So if you want to go check that out, you can check it out at ionicframework.com. Cesare, what picks do you have? I just have one, but, uh, it's pretty important to me and that's podcasting. Because I rediscovered that, I mean, it's been around for 10 years, uh, or even longer probably. But, you know, the, the first spike was 10 years ago, more or mm-hmm. less, when, when it was included in, the, in iTunes. And I kind of ignored that. And then I, I rediscovered that two, three years ago. And then I'm into it like crazy. And that I wake up and uh, listen to podcasts. Oh, watch and listen to podcasts, walk the dog and, and listen to podcasts. And I, I really, really, really like it. And much more than radio, for example. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. So do you have a podcast then? I will uh, take over soon the CocoConf uh, podcast. So the podcast related to CocoConf, which is a conference about iOS and Mac development in the U.S., all right. I've actually, uh, since you brought it up, I'm working on a book right now on podcasting. It initially started out as a book for people who wanted to start podcasts on devchat.tv. And we have a couple of new shows that I've mentioned uh, previously, Web Security Warriors and React Native Radio, which I'm not running or hosting but are going to be on the show. So I started out writing a podcast manual, and then I had other friends in other areas come to me and say, hey, you do these podcasts. Can I get your opinion on what I'm doing with my podcast? And that kind of turned into this massive podcasting book uh, as I've realized that I've put together a whole bunch of information about podcasting that I now need to consolidate to one place. So if you want information on that, you can find it at pickuppodcasting.com. The website isn't up now, Cesare, but it will be by the time that people get this episode. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out. I also have a friend who's looking at doing a hangout on air for her customers And as soon as I have information about that, then I will let you know so you can actually listen to me talk about it. But yeah, podcasting stuff is awesome. I really think it is at least part of the future of content, not just on the web. As people realize that, hey, yeah, you can get the big uh, corporate, I I don't like corporate, but the big media companies like ABC, NBC, CBS, I don't think they're gonna go anywhere. But people also realize that it's not just the mass media, but it's specific media to what I'm interested in and what I want to hear about. Uh, as people figure out that they can get that stuff, I think that's also going to be the future. So podcasts are going to play a big role in that. So I'm, I'm definitely looking at that. But yeah, you can check all that out at pickuppodcasting.com. And that's enough of my self-promo. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you, Chase, today for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Always a great time on iFreaks. It's been really fun to just talk and especially about this because it mixes two of my kind of passions in programming, uh, that being iOS and, and JavaScript. So yeah. Super fun. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum. 